Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk, Happy Hour Radio. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Well, hello, Seattle. Hello, Puget Sound, and welcome to Happy Hour Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Chan, your advanced sommelier, your weekend wine guy, and your samurai of spirits. Yeah, I thought about that one last night. <laughs> Hope you're having a great September. Um, it's the uh, the Indian summer, we like to say, or is it now Native American summer? I'm not sure, but it, regardless, uh, the sun sets, the, the football season, and it's time to get cozy and warm. And uh, I'm really pleased to have uh, two cool cats in the studio, uh, Micah McNutt and Jason Parker of Copperworks Distilling. We're going to dive into some of their... Uh, brand new releases and talk about uh, the industry and taste some uh, delicious cocktails as well. And it's really a pleasure to have uh, the gentleman st- sitting right before me. Uh, Chef John Sundstrom has been a mainstay in Seattle. He's uh, uh, got a, quite a story and uh, came out with a brand new cookbook. And it's almost more of a magazine style because it's got fantastic photography. It's got uh, little stories and how these recipes uh, came to be. Um, we're going to chat about uh, his journey uh, becoming a uh, James Beard award-winning cook. And, uh, well, hey, John, welcome to Happy Hour. Happy to be here, Christopher. Thank you. Yes, it's a pleasure. it is a pleasure. And uh, we've crossed paths uh, many years before, and uh, it's great to reconnect today. Um, reading the book, uh, you grew up in Utah, and your first gig was at a Japanese restaurant. Is that right? That's right. When you uh, we threw out the samurai uh, line, uh, my first <laughs> job was a place called the 47 Samurai. Uh, so it was a after-school job. Job that turned into more for me uh, became my first real foray into the kitchen and uh, fantastic. I was one of the few gaijin to flip the shrimp to you on your plate. Uh, it was a teppanyaki restaurant. So anyway, fell in love with the restaurant world uh, through that job. You still do the uh, volcano onion dish? I mean, for, for at Lark? No, no. I, I, you know, once in a while, my cooks will be like, "What did you do when you first started? Can you show us that?" I'm like, "No, those, you know, those days are over." Oh, okay. Um, well, you certainly are uh, have come a long way to uh, open your own place, and you had a couple stops along the way. Of course, some great tutelage in the culinary world here in Seattle. Tell us about that. Sure. Well, uh, I moved here in the early '90s, and I worked. Um, a little place called Raison Dette Cafe it was a real favorite. Amazing pastries and coffee, and I was the breakfast guy. You know, just uh, most of us all start out doing the most humble things. So, um, you know, I was the one making your omelets uh, for a couple of years. Uh, then, uh, when I, I moved away for a short time, when I, I knew I wanted to get back to Seattle, I had already really fallen in love with the city, and I worked for at Cafe Sport uh, for just a little bit, and then finally got into Dahlia Lounge, which of course I spent six years working with Tom and the team, and um, the, saw sort of the evolution and I guess the start of Tom's um, you know empire. Uh, it was one <laughs> restaurant when I was there, and you know Tom was in the kitchen many days of the week, and. Uh, you know, I kind of, I kind of grew up there. I mean, I went from a line cook to sous chef, and then uh, was sort of the chef de cuisine for about four years. Uh, worked with many other talented people. You know, Holly Smith from Cafe Juanita was my my line cook mate. We kind of, you know, moved up together, and a lot of other talented people went through that kitchen. Uh, and then in about uh, just before year 2000, was kind of ready to stretch my wings a bit and wanted to see what I was about. So. Um, 
I took some time off. I did some traveling, went to Europe, went to Japan. I, I did some stages in New York and San Francisco uh, for some of the best restaurants at the time, and many of them still around, places like Danielle, Jean-Georges, things like that, um, with the idea that I would come back to Seattle and make my mark, you know, and um, just quickly decided I didn't have the money to open my own place, uh, but I, I took over as the chef at Carmelita, uh, which was a great vegetarian restaurant at the time, and was also sort of a surprising move. I think a lot of people were like, what do you know about vegetarian food? And um, But it was actually a lot of fun. <laughs> no I, I really I, I really got a new level of respect for the farmers and for what you can do, and, you know, salmon is salmon, and it can be amazing, but it's usually what goes around it that makes a dish and, and how a chef shows what they can do uh, with, you know, with their creativity. So it was actually a really pretty defining moment. I, you know, really enjoyed it. And then um, took over at the W Hotel uh, as the chef of Earth and Ocean and eventually was running the whole, um, you know, all the kitchen operations at the W. It was a big job, but, you know, again, also kind of helped um, distill what I'm about. And, you know, since this is a spirits show as well as a food show, um, it was really that kind of idea where you have to define everything you think about food and cooking in a very short time and put it out there in front of a big group. Uh, of course, they're going to judge you on your performance and all of your ideas. And uh, I was very fortunate that we met with great success. Um, the uh, the hotel supported me. The community supported me. We turned that restaurant around. And uh, the following year, I was a food and wine best new chef. And, and then things kind of just kept snowballing in a very positive way. So um, about three years later, I was ready to open Lark finally, and uh, so my this wife. This was 2000, and uh, we opened in 2003. Okay. So um, we're we're coming up on 13 years, and uh, you know, again, very fortunate uh, to still be around. I think still be relevant and interesting, and a place that people love to go. So, um, so you know, we we picked our our funky little building on 12th Avenue, and we were sort of. Um, I really wanted to have a place uh, where I would go out to eat, and I really was into the idea of small plates where you could just taste a ton of things and experience a lot of flavors. And so, you know, we were one of the first to really dive into that. There were there were a few other places that were sort of dabbling it uh, in in it, but uh, you know, but but again, you know, with European flavors sort of overlaid with our Northwest ingredients, and that's sort of what Lark uh, started out as. And and we've evolved into a, a more of a full service restaurant. We moved about two years ago to Tenth uh, and Seneca. Um, we've got big plates, you know, expanded wine list, you know, just kind of the whole nine yards. It's a, it's a great restaurant and it's very beautiful. Um, we've got a raw bar called Bitter Raw. We do shellfish platters and mm. great oysters and crudo and then a little sandwich shop called Slab Sandwiches and Pie. And it's just been a great ride. So happy Excellent. So well, you certainly follow the footsteps of uh, your uh, mentor, Tom Douglas. Yeah, we're, we're, we're not quite that ambitious, but, uh, you know, we're we're definitely trying to make our mark. Yeah, well, you got some years to catch up, so I'm sure you'll, you'll find uh, the affinity for uh, brand new and working way too hard. Um, but it is a labor of love and a passion and uh, speaking with John Sundstrom, chef uh, extraordinaire, you won the James Beard award-winning chef, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so um, that was I won in 2007. You know, usually, it's a couple of nominations, and you know, it's always a great time to go to New York and and hang out with peers and go out to eat. And uh, you know, again, it also just sort of solidifies your uh, position in you know in what's going on in food in the city and. You know, there's a little bit of national awareness, so that's it's fantastic. So, oh, it's uh, it's an honor for our region, and obviously a, a blessing for us to have uh, such talented culinary uh, artists here, and of course the bounty. And um, I want to jump into your cookbook here, and I, I 
I don't want to really call it a cookbook because I, I just it's so much more pleasant than the I was looking at the James Beard cookbook and that's certainly 1981 very old fashioned and, and you know uh, yellowed pages and, mm-hmm. and a lot a lot of text and, and just not quite the photography we have the ability now but this is a stunning book it's called Lark Cooking Wild in the Northwest by John Sundstrom uh, just released correct? Yeah it came out uh, August 23rd so we're just uh, just coming up on a month and um you know, really, uh, it was my my hope when I wrote the book was that if you uh, had never been to the Northwest, uh, this would give you a, a, a nice little snapshot into what it's all about. And so, you know, yes, the great photos, sort of uh, my take on the seasons here, um, and uh, and and just a, a lot of great recipes, certainly. But just just really wanted to tell a story about what it's like to live here and and what it's like to cook here. Um, and then if you're somebody who maybe is from here, maybe you live in else else elsewhere in the country, uh, you're going to miss home, uh, you know, a lot after you read this book. So, <laughs> And you'll also be extremely, extraordinarily hungry because uh, you, you've broken down our, our annum here into three separate categories. The first uh, is what you titled Mist, and that's November to March. Here's some of the uh, the dishes you have in the, the mist area. Uh, scallops, choucroute, uh, duck leg confit, uh, chicken liver parfait, um, cheeses and chocolate madeleines, uh, Razor clam chowder and wagyu sirloin tartare. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's quite the gourmet foodie experience here. And are these how far do these menus these recipes go back for you? Sure. Well, um, there's there's probably about ten dishes that I would call classic lark dishes we've been doing since we opened uh, in two thousand three. Uh, so we've always had cheese plates. We that we had to represent that. We've always had the chocolate madeleines and. Um, when uh, I referred to the stage I did in New York, I worked at Danielle for a few days, and I just they did Madeleines with their coffee service, and um, but they were they were better than any other Madeleine I'd ever had. And what they did is they piped them to order, they cooked them to order for every every diner, and I just that that idea was just. Um, such a great thing to me that that's what we we did that we we came up with our own recipe and we've served those since day one and we also um it really represents the communal dining idea where you know you're you're in there with your group and and maybe it's an intimate dinner for two uh but you're still sharing something with somebody important to you maybe you're there to celebrate a graduation and there's 10 of you and you're a little louder and you're open up some big <laughs> balls of wine and but the idea is you're still going to want you know you're coming together at the table and you're going to share something and you know maybe you don't share entrees but the madeleines are something we don't really serve with uh, silverware it's just comes in a, a folded napkin and with a little pot of chocolate sauce and mm. the idea is that you just pass it around everyone gets in there and it's a time to kind of let relax a bit you know so um and i would say in general that's what we we try to do at lark is it's all about it's your occasion we're going to make it special for you whatever that may be if you want a tasty menu and you want to get very chefy and into it and let us <laughs> you know let us uh, blow you away with our cool ideas we can do that but if you just want to have steak tartare and a glass of red wine and sit at the bar and chill out after a hard day that's also very possible so um so yeah some of those dishes are classics that we've done for many years in a row and and they've evolved over time like the scallop charcuterie dish is actually a dish I did at the W and it sort of had a few different you know many of those same components but but you know cooking has evolved and and my cooking's gotten better and um there may be you know if you had it this winter you might see a couple of new little twists to that dish but um that's kind of the idea is just uh you know it's a starting place and and it's definitely 
it's meant for for cooks who love to shop in the farmers market. They 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 cook a little bit already, and maybe they want to dial it up a notch. That's so. too funny. I'm trying to figure out what cook does not want to shop at the farmers market. Maybe uh, the corporate chef at Cisco. Or maybe. Something. Well, hey, you know, there's a lot of other stores that are still open. You know, still open. So. Yes, that's true. Uh, speaking with John Sunshine, the uh, proprietor of Lark, along with his uh, lovely bride J.M. Um, Looking at his brand new, uh, I'll call it a recipe book and more of a storybook, really. Uh, your second, uh, your second, air, uh, what do you call it? The theme of the our bounty is called evergreen, and this is April to July. Mm-hmm. Um, I see baby octopus, hanger steak, uh, asparagus, uh, salumi copa, uh, tete de cochon. Um, these are very these are more ambitious items sure sure well I, when when someone picks up the book and they ask me you know can i cook from this i'm like well there's there's probably like about 20% of the recipes are really easy you know one pot meals like the mussel dish um there's, there's many in there that you could just decide that day you're going to cook it and and you could do it and it's going to be no problem about 60% are are i'd say mid range you know you need to plan ahead a little bit at least you know shop carefully um and then, you know, it'll be something you do when you've got a couple hours to spend in the kitchen. Where and can then, you get the tete de cochon? Right. Well, and then the other 20% <laughs> are things that are going to take your whole weekend. So if you're really dedicated and you really want to you want to learn how to cook uh, a half a pig's head into a delicious pate, um, you know, Don and Joe's is going to supply you. There's a few great places that, you know, butcher shops will get you those kind of things. Uh, but you're, you need to devote a little bit of time and energy. And, and a lot of times it has to do with more, you know, you take 20 minutes to brine the brine the head and uh, and then do another stage later. I love it. Uh, speak with John Sundstrom, the proprietor of Lark Restaurant and his uh, brand new Cooking Wild in the Northwest book with great photos. Where can we find this book? Amazon.com, I imagine, or Sasquatch yeah, Books? Yeah, this is everywhere. Um, it's You can certainly find it at your you know the local bookstores, Elliott Bay, Third Place Books, um, Powell's Books in Portland. You know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, everywhere, Cos- right. Costco. Perfect timing, uh, right in time for the holidays. Great time for gifting. And uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to chat more with John Sunstrom. And coming up on the show are my pals from Copperworks Distilling, uh, Jason Parker and Micah McNutt. So stick around, folks. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio. back and he's in charge kirby wilbur live and local weekdays nine to noon talk radio 570 kvi kvi want to know weekends time for another round of happy hour radio with christopher chan all right seattle hope you're having a great saturday night and hope you got something tasty in your glass time for round two and I had the pleasure of speaking with Chef John Sundstrom here of Lark fame, soon to be Southpaw and uh, Slab slab Sandwiches and Pie, I think you call it. Um, we're chatting about his brand new recipe book. It's called Cooking Wild in the Northwest. Fantastic photos. Um, really a pleasure to to read and always also get a little bit of history about our, our local culinary uh, industry from back in the 90s. So, John, um, we were just chatting about Evergreen, and I like the fact that you've got uh, Tete de Cuchon right above the berry float. That's sure, sure. <laughs> you can do. Well, you know, you, you've got some champagne uh, stashed away, and you're not sure what to do with it. You know, throw it right in there with your strawberries. 
fantastic. It sounds fantastic. And so for the third uh, season you have, it's called Bounty, and this is August to October, and that is totally true. Um, we have such a wealth of, uh, of produce and mm-hmm. game and fish and fowl. Um, uh, here's some of the dishes you have here. Of course, we need gooey duck ceviche because uh, that is just a, a mainstay, a staple here in the Northwest. You have squab, uh, yellow taxi tomato soup, um, lardo on toast, which is quite interesting, and uh, a black fig tartatin. So uh, tell us about these recipes. Sure. Well, um, like you said, bounty is sort of, uh, this is the time of year when there's just so much going on. Uh, our, our local farms and fishermen and everybody, they're just, uh, they're pounding us with great stuff. I mean, there's so many things to choose from. Uh, the walk-in is full. We're, we're changing the menu as fast as we can just because you want to use all these great ingredients. Um, you know, the thing that's always in the back of my mind is, you know, February is coming around and it's it's back to cabbage and potatoes. And, uh, you know, we really try to try to stay with the seasons uh, and work with our local farms. So, you know, there's no strawberries available then. There's no, you know, like like I said, in the evergreen section, there's really, you know, there's really not much um, farm grown produce happening until May. So a lot of times we rely on like the, the nettles and the wild watercress and some of those things that come from sort of our foraging uh, partners. And and that was sort of the overall theme with those three seasons is, you know, I grew up somewhere where we had four clear seasons, you know, summertime started with school getting out at the end of May. It was hot already and you're already starting to think about peaches and tomatoes. Well here, you know, those things don't really happen till the end of the summer and, you know, we're we're already here to back to school, but um, I just got an email from one of my farms and like they've got more green beans than they can keep up with cucumbers, tomatoes. So that's where, you know, just the trying to point out this idea that the seasons are, are slightly shifted here. They come a little bit later. You know, it's uh, we, we don't quite have, you know, northern weather like Maine or the Minnesotans where, you know, it all shuts down in the winter. So we do get a lot of great things. <laughs> Unless there's an know. inch of snow on the yeah. ground in Seattle. Though. You know, again, I, I enjoy that when it happens, but, you know, it's usually not going to put a stop to, you know, we're still going to be able to get some rutabagas and some parsnips uh, from our local farms. Uh, in December, but uh, that's the idea. It's just to sort of get in re- get in sync with what's really happening here. Uh, you know. Well, I, I got to say, this is really like a restaurant menu for me. Just reading these dishes, and it just it's making my mouth water, and um, I'm hungry and thirsty all at the same time. Right. Your as soon as we get out of here, let's go back to Lark. Let's go. Uh, final section is Lark Larder. Um, what does Larder mean? Well, Larder is an old fashioned term for the pantry or kind of like the root cellar. Um, so I grew up, uh, I, like I said, I grew up in Utah. My grandmother grew up in Idaho, and she was the daughter of farmers, and many of her brothers and sisters were potato farmers. And so that was really a, a cultural thing back then where you really, you know, you grew your own food, and you canned, and you preserved, and you'd, you'd put things away uh, so that you could have some peaches, you know, come Christmas time or um, zucchini relish or whatever. And so uh, when I was a kid... Um, I wasn't, you know, I was into food in general, but it wasn't like uh, anything I knew I would do. But I do remember those canning parties and sort of the generosity that that comes from moms and grandmas. You know, she would um, she would go out on her porch and trade candy with her neighbors uh, that she had just made, and you know, but but really that stuck with me. And then when we were thinking about uh, 
what other sections we could do beyond the seasons, I really thought it'd be cool to kind of just have a, have a few things that you can stash away, you know, as a, as a home cook, you know, canning has made a real big resurgence. People are into that. People make pickles. So these, these all touch on things like that. A few things you can do for your home cocktail uh, bar, you know, some, some syrups and, um, little, you know, kind of aged wines that you can do with your leftover fruit uh, in the summer. Um, so that's kind of what's out, a few breads, things like that. Some of the ingredients include uh, uh, smoked mushrooms, uh, leek, ash, salt, mm-hmm. um, garnacha vinaigrette, miso dressing, which is, you know, one of my favorite, and I still don't know how to make it, which is cool, uh, and rhubarb simple syrup. I think rhubarb is one of those in- ingredients here in the Northwest that doesn't quite get its due because it's... You always find it in rhubarb strawberry pie, but outside of that, what mm-hmm. is it? Sure. Well, um, you know, again, it's one of those first things that's uh, that comes around in the spring, right. where you're, you're you're like it's the sign of of summer coming, right? So, you know, I know once the rhubarb happens, the strawberries aren't far behind it, but because you that's the only thing you have for maybe six weeks, eight weeks, you know, when you're thinking about fruits and desserts, uh, we try to get really creative. So we make sorbets out of it. We make chutneys out of it. We, uh, we, we do something like this drink syrup and, you know, rhubarb's got, um, a good amount of acidity and tartness, um, and, uh, pairs, you know, if you, if I, I love the balance between something sweet and something tangy and that's, you know, that's what wine's about too. You know, a great wine's better if it's got a little bit of acidity to give it some backbone. So same idea with, um, with rhubarb. So pairs well with meats, um, you know, cheeses, uh, certainly desserts. So. Impressive. Um, looking at some of the folks who have reviewed your book and, and brought some comments, this is from uh, Chef Suzanne Goyne uh, from AOC Tavern, or, or the Luke's AOC Tavern, and she says, John Sundrum has brought the beauty and bounty of his beloved Northwest so boldly and vibrantly to this book that I want to climb into its pages and eat, sleep, and drink and cook the region right now. I think that was really, really it's cool. Really nice, yep. um, so if you want to uh, sort of test drive these dishes, you have these dishes available at Lark, and you are doing a remodel. When are you open? Yeah, so uh, so Lark moved about two years ago to our current location, Tenth uh, and Seneca, just behind Broadway and Madison. Uh, it's been fantastic; people love it. Uh, but then our original location on Twelfth Avenue, uh, kind of sandwiched between Rhine House and Cannon, um, we're renaming Southpaw, and it's going to become a wood-fired pizza place. So very casual, very accessible. Uh, you know, it's going to be open all day, you know, wood-fired pizza, kind of a um, strong vegetable representation. We've got a little rooftop garden just down the street on 12th Avenue, so we'll be supplying a uh, pizza place with, uh, you know, fresh vegetables, tomatoes, chard, things like that throughout the year. Um and just it's going to be really super fun and cash. So. Well, we love pizza here in the Northwest. And uh, uh, to find your book again, Amazon and all the great bookstores. Amazon, Elliott Barnes & Noble. Uh, yeah, pretty much anywhere, you know, digital, uh, they'll, they'll be able to find it. You can get it through the Lark website if you like. What is the website? Uh, LarkSeattle.com. LarkSeattle.com. What a treat. Hey, John Sunstrom, chef of Lark and uh, of soon-to-be Southpaw, of course, in Slab, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Slab, Sandwiches and Pie, open yeah. right now. Good stuff. Hey, thanks for joining me on Happy. A pleasure. Hey, thank you, Christopher. See you soon. Hey, coming up next are my pals uh, Micah Nutt and uh, Jason Parker with Copperworks Distilling. Uh, so, Jason Parker and Micah Nutt, welcome to Happy Hour. Thank you, Christopher. Thanks for having us. Uh, what a treat. So, uh, this is your fourth year in biz? No, actually third, and October third. the 5th will be our third year. Okay. Um, I'm ahead of my time. And uh, let's talk about where you're at and uh, what you do. 
So we're located on the Seattle waterfront. We're right across the street from the Ferris wheel and Elliott's and uh, uh, Argosy cruise boats. Um, we make, finally we can say, we make whiskey for sale, not just to store in barrels. We also make <laughs> gin, a barrel-aged version of that gin, and then a uh, vodka. And all of those are malted. Uh, they begin with the malted barley. Excellent. All 100%? 100% in the uh, whiskey, 50% in the vodka and the gins. What's your other uh, source? The other, the, actually, the other source is a grain-neutral spirit, and that's actually from a wheat. Okay. Yep. Interesting. Um, how many? How big? What's production like? I mean, do you make uh, 100 gallons at a time, Micah, or...? Well, we don't have a set production schedule yet. I'm happy if I get three or four distillations in a week. And as for what's output, it depends what we're making. So whiskey distillation for the spirit, get about two and a half 53-gallon barrels of whiskey out of a spirit run. Uh, Gin. Wow. We've got a... We're big. That is big. Slightly smaller gin still, uh, dedicated for gin. Get about 550 bottles of gin off of that. Excellent. And quickly, um, I know we've chatted about the gin before. You have a barrel-aged gin and also your straight, what do you call that first gin? Uh, well, we just call it the Copperworks Gin. Um, sometimes it's the No Barrel Gin. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, and how many um, uh, aromatics are being uh, percolated ten, or infused? Ten, ten botanicals, of course. Ten. Uh, the major one is uh, uh, juniper, but you know we got coriander, lemon and orange peel, uh, acacia bark, three roots, orris root, angelica root, licorice root, Cuba berries, which is a peppercorn out of India, and grains of paradise. Grains out of, Morocco. of paradise. I know yeah. it sounds delicious. Yeah, it does, and it, those are pretty tasty as well. They put those in some beers, I think. They do. Yeah, yeah, Sam Adams was also uh, one of the first to use it, believe yeah. it or not. So, Micah, you are a, a distillate manager, real quick. I mean, you are the production ma- What's your title? Well, <laughs> I'm doing the bulk of the distillation. Mr. Everything. Uh, co-owner, uh, co-founder, I guess, at this, this point. Um, so I'm doing the distillation and most of the production work in the back, which is a lot of transferring of spirits, proofing for going into barrels or bottling, uh, cleaning. Today I'm doing a bit of That's CIPing. It. Mr. Everything. I love it. Uh, chatting up with uh, my friends from Copperworks Distilling, Jason Parker and Micah Nutt. Hey, when we come back from this break, we're going to uh, dive into one of their brand new releases, the brand new release, their single malt whiskey. Stick around, folks. You're listening to Happy Hour Radio. Start your day the right way. John Carlson, live and local, 6 to 10 a.m. Talk Radio 570, KVI. You're in the know with KVI 1 and 0 weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, Seattle. Hey, welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round three. I hope you got something tasty in your glass, whether it's a spirit, brewski, or some fine wine, or... Even some cider. Uh, if you all like all that stuff, you got to join me on November 12th and 13th over at the Seattle Center Exhibition Hall for the 2016 Holiday Wine Fest. And don't let just the wine name fool you. We're going to have spirits and beer and ciders and, uh, well, great food and also some really cool gift ideas from our artists and producers around town. And speaking of artists and producers, I've got uh, Jason Parker, who is uh, co-owner with the Micah Nutt of Copperworks Distilling down on the waterfront some of the big Ferris wheel, and uh, I'm excited to taste their um, long-awaited release of their American single malt. So, guys, tell me what you got. 
Well, this is our first release, Christopher. This is the release that every time somebody asks us, do you have whiskey? We always had to say, not yet. It's still aging. So we actually started uh, stilling in 2013. We got this up uh, uh, at the very beginning in January the 3rd of 2013. I've been aging it for two and a half years, so 30 months in new charred American milk barrels indoors. It's 100% pale malt. And it's actually, uh, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you the proof yet. I'm going to wait okay. for you to taste it. All right. I would look forward to tasting it. So when we think about whiskey, um, basically whiskey is a um, uh, definition of? Distillate that has been made from grain. So if you take grain, you um, ferment it and then distill it, you can call that a whiskey. If you took a grape or another vegetable and you distilled it and fermented it and aged it, you'd call it a brandy. All right. So vodka could be grain, neutral grain spirit. That's right. And potato yes, or right. fruit or wine and no, things like yes, that. That's right. Or even honey. A honey, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when it comes to whiskey, let's not get it confused with bourbon because bourbon has its own particular um, national guideline or, or law. Right. Uh, but when you tr- come out with the whiskey, um, did you have you actually have to have a lot of foresight, right? You can't just say, hey, let's make whiskey tomorrow because <laughs> you could, but it's not going to be available until yeah. two to three years down the road. That's it's right. a long time waiting. It is a long time waiting. What's uh, what the angel share over two and a half years? Well, that all depends where the barrels are being aged because uh, temperature, temperature fluctuations, Next humidity fluctuations. <laughs> We're experiencing about 5% a loss of liquor a year, which is a bit higher than uh, the uh, barrel houses in Kentucky and even those in Interesting. Scotland. Yeah. So we actually have temperature controlled in there, and so we're keeping it at almost and humidity, 70 degrees. Right? Uh, humidity is not controlled by a humidifier, but it is controlled because it's, a hum- it's an office space. So, I mean, in other words, it's a living space, not a warehouse space. Right. And so it's almost always around 45%, um, but it, it does dip in the winter a little bit, and then it does rise a little bit in the summer. What's really neat about having that temperature control is that we're actually not experiencing those swings from hot to cold to hot to cold like they are in both Scotland and Kentucky. And that's what they need for masking and uh, filtering some of the flavors of a sour mash. But in our case, we are not doing a sour mash. We have absolutely sanitary fermentation, all 100% brewer's yeast, no bacteria. We're not creating those those lactic acid notes. So we actually don't want to over-barrel flavor. We want that malt flavor to come all the way through. All right. And uh, so release one and release two came out almost at the same time? or Yeah. Yeah. We made them, um, you know, every day we put up uh, a little more whiskey, or I should say every week we put up a little more whiskey. And so we have about 150 barrels right now to pick from. We go through, mm. sample them, pick our favorite barrels, mingle those together, put them right back into the barrels to marry for about three months, take those out, proof them, and then let them sit for a few more weeks before we bottle them. So we did that for release one. And then as soon as release one was in the marrying stage, we began to uh, taste and select release two. It's the and, same spirit marriage, though, right? Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> the funny thing is uh, about Copperworks is that each release is going to be very different. So it's, well, I should say. Not very different, c- uniquely different. It could, c- could, is going to be unique and could be anywhere from barely different to dramatically different. Mm. So we'll have everything from um, completely different grain recipes, different types of woods that we've aged in, different times. We may mingle um, two different recipes together. The sky's the limit. So this is where Mike and I really start to have fun in making whiskey besides just the production aspect of it. 
we now get to become blenders. Right. I guess when you reach that 100,000 case point, you got to keep that same recipe for Oh, everybody. I'm so <laughs> looking forward to that day. <laughs> I love it. Speaking with Jason Parker and Micah Nutt, the co-proprietors of Copperworks Distilling down on the Seattle waterfront, uh, producers of gin, barrel-aged gin, vodka, and uh, single malt whiskey from America um, right here in Seattle. So... I've got a, a dram here of uh, your release, number one. I want to taste it, but um, y- you mentioned your versions may be a little different, so let's talk about this one here. So release number one, um, it's a pale, more of a pecan color. Um, it looks, mmm, definitely uh, I get hints of uh, candied pineapple, a little bit of touch of maple, and um, uh, a very hint of, of vanilla and toffee. The alcohol is is not burning my nose, and I took it, you know, I did what you're not supposed to do. I closed my mouth and took a big sniff, but <laughs> perhaps I'm just a veteran or uh, my nose is numb already. Who knows? But uh, um, it smells fantastic. I like that it's not hot, so that it makes me think this is in that 80 proof so far, but let me taste. I like the fact that you're a veteran noser. Wow. Congratulations. Um, mm, this this spirit exudes chocolate on the finish. Um, it's just, I don't say it's off-dry. It's like off-sweet. Uh, yeah. Vanilla and toffee and mm, even roasted nut, pecan, um, the touch of molasses and... Or I should say dark caro syrup. Yeah. That's probably what it is. Yeah. Uh, You use American oak barrels. Are these from Oregon, Missouri, Tennessee? Well, the wood's mostly grown in Missouri. Um, We have two cooperage, uh, coopers that we use. Independent Stave Company, the world's largest cooperage. We actually use their um, wine barrel cooperage in Lebanon, uh, Missouri. So they also have a bourbon barrel cooperage in Lebanon, Kentucky. But the one in Lebanon, Missouri uses... Uh, Is that like Kansas City? It's on both sides. (laughs) It's crazy that they built two plants in towns named Lebanon, and they're both really small towns. They call it Lebanon? They do, yeah, just (laughs) Lebanon is is one word. Uh, And it turns out that the the one in Missouri uses aged oak. So all of this is two-year seasoned oak. So it's actually been used, uh, set outside and uh, softened for two years. And have you actually, uh, did you select this cooper because you did research prior to making your first batch of Uski Bay, or did you say, you know, what do you use because you like that spirit, someone's product, or how did you find these folks? Well, um, there's a couple of uh, answers to that, but the biggest one is that uh, Independent Stave Company has the most technical abilities to make. That's really different than quality. Interstave, though, right? It's not uh, right. Interstave makes the little um, squares that you put into um, yes. jars and, and color and flavor right. product with, but don't age with it. So these are real right. barrels, of course, 53-gallon barrels. And what's particularly neat about uh, Independent Stave is their ability to really control the toast and the char level. We also use another company that I love. They're out of Louisville, Kentucky, and that's also one word, Louisville. Louisville, Kentucky, <laughs> they make, uh, they're called Calvin Cooperage, K-E-L-V-I-N, and what they do is more of the artisan approach. Instead of having machinery to sniff and tell and taste uh, the, the gases that are coming off hmm. and determine where that toast and, and char level is, instead they do it all by nose, sight, sound, and color of the flame. And it's, it's, it's you know, it, remarkable what they're capable of doing. They may not be as consistent, 
but they may even be able to make a better honey barrel, like the best barrel. All right. I like so that. And when it comes down to actually charring or uh, they call it suffrage, mm-hmm. I think is the burning mm-hmm. of the barrel, they must use a um, an inert flame source, right? I mean, this must be natural gas because it's, it's not like... Natural you, gas you know. in independent stave, and it's actually chips of char... Uh-huh. I, I'm sorry, chips of the oak that were the shavings of the barrel staves at Kelvin. So it's the wood itself that they've caught on fire from the very same barrel. Fantastic. Yeah. So uh, are you able to produce um, a... How many whiskeys have you made to date? How many are in uh, uh, Elevage right now? How many releases are you asking? How many, yeah, how many releases do you, could you produce today if you... Or do you have it in, in inventory? Oh, we, ha- we still have it in inventory in barrels. So uh, release three is slated to come out this uh, fall. And four as well. Uh, but you have according. what? Five and six still waiting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The, we lay down barrels How as many we total? go along. Uh, hundreds. Literally every really? time we mix something together, it's a new release. Oh, I want. I want to do a little barrel sampling just I would to love understand that. how you know maturation from one month, five months, yeah. a year to and you know two, you know different grain bills, different oh, yeah. entry proofs. We have four different entry proofs. Let's do that for the holiday wine fest. I think that'd be really cool. Uh, yeah. Speaking with uh, Jason Parker and. Micah Nutt, the co-proprietors of Copperworks Distilling, and I'm um, really enjoying a dram of their first release, the uh, release number one of the American Single Malt Whiskey. When we come back from this break, we're actually going to make a cocktail, chat about uh, whiskey number two, um, and really have some fun. So stick around, folks. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. A Northwest Original, Lars Larson, live weekdays noon to 3, Talk Radio 570, KVI. KVI Want to Know Weekends continue. Now back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, happy Saturday night, and welcome back to Happy Hour Radio. Time for round four, our fourth and final segment, and uh, good for me because I've got two drams of whiskey and a Manhattan sitting in front of me. We'll see how the night goes from here. Uh, speaking with Jason Parker and Micah Nutt, the co-founders of Copperworks Distillery down on uh, the Seattle waterfront. Guys, I'm checking out, um, you know, I really dig that first release. Um, I think it's got the, the, the perfect balance of sweetness and complexity. Um, the second one is much more interesting. There's a little more fortitude in this second release. It's got just, the wood presence is a little more uh, pronounced in this, I believe, and it, it almost seems that um, it's it's got just a, a more of a sauvage feel to me, I mean, in the mouth. And uh, tell me about whiskey number two. Yeah, after you tell me what sauvage means. Oh, sauvage means wild <laughs> okay. in French. <laughs> oh, of course. So uh, whiskey number one, by the way, just because you, you asked earlier, the proof on that one is uh, 104 proof. No way. Yes. So we are bottling. So we we brought wow. in twenty bartenders from town. What we kind of call our star tenders, our favorite bartenders like around that. town. We brought them in in two shifts of ten each, and we spent uh, about two hours uh, a shift blind tasting from uh, four different proofs: one hundred, cool. hundred and five, hundred ten, hundred and fourteen point seven. Oh, was that that media thing that I missed? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you would have been there. And uh, they helped us pick that first proof at one hundred and four. Wow. Was uh, the favorite. 
Um, yeah, I know. You know, I would you, never would have told. I was thinking it was in the eighty-five, eighty-six. That's one of the things we're so proud about is that it actually keeps that uh, flavor so high, and when you make it into a cocktail, it still even punches on the nose. Right it doesn't burn. So that's that's that malt and the fact that we're using a brewer's yeast, which is not fermenting out all of the sugars. So a little bit of those residual sugars make it all the way through into the final product. And then number two is two proof higher. So it's actually 106 proof, so 53% alcohol. And uh, I think it speaks to that little bit higher proof. Um, We did that again just to kind of punch it. Um, see how those orange, uh, kind of charred orange notes come through, and mm-hmm. um, just just kind yeah, of felt I like, like that, it had the, uh, the that, legs uh, to it. Burnt citrus note, uh, the orange and uh, <clears throat> tangerine. Um, those are, are components that definitely highlight uh, and, and complement a uh, a brown spirit. Um, obviously, right. all the bitters that our friends at Fee Brothers and Scrappies have come out can prove testament to that. Um, you have a favorite cocktail for this particular whiskey? <laughs> we have a lot of favorite cocktails, but we may do one today. Okay. That's a classic, and that's the uh, Manhattan. Uh, real, it's actually a perfect Manhattan, which means that it's using both um, sweet and dry vermouth in equal parts. So it's two ounces of the whiskey. It's uh, a half an ounce of the sweet. Um, vermouth and in both of these cases we were able to use uh, the Carpano vermouth so we got the Carpano Antica formula for the sweet and then the Carpano dry yeah and Carpano is known for that great hint of vanilla that uh, comes through in their their red sweet vermouth Mm -hmm. but I have never had the Carpano dry Um, it's obviously clear vermouth and uh, I, I want to taste it afterwards and see what its uh, you know the components are just straight yeah. um, I think the perfect Manhattan is something that I I haven't gotten into but this is this is more more of the summer Manhattan <laughs> yeah well another reason it, because of that residual sugar that's left over in that whiskey from the malted barley from the beer that Mike and I make then it's really better to let that malt shine through with the sweetness and not overpower it with just that sweet vermouth, but bring a little dry vermouth in. Yeah, and if our listeners remember when we had uh, our friend uh, from New York talk about Manhattans, um, you know, people add bitters. It's really a balancing act for, for these uh, this particular drink. If they have bitters and, of course, uh, uh, red vermouth or sweet vermouth and dry vermouth, you can overpower the nuances of a whiskey or a rye, and it's, it's really important not to get too heavy-handed. Of course, you can always add more whiskey, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Too fun. Um, and you, this is just called the Perfect Manhattan? That's right. Yep. You have a tasting room and you can come down and visit. What are your hours? Well, we're open every day. We're open uh, Monday through Sunday, and we open at noon every day. On Monday through Thursday, we're open until 6, on Friday and Saturday until 7, and on Sunday until 5. Uh, we also do tours on Friday and Saturday. Friday is at 5, Saturday is at 1, 3, and 5. Best to book online at uh, com because they do fill up quickly. We do charge $10 for the tours. Uh, that's going to be moving up in next month to $15 because we're actually going to start charging for tastings. We've been doing tastings for free mm-hmm. uh, for the past two and a half years. Um, but now that we have whiskey, we're finding we're getting just a little bit overwhelmed by people coming in. Right. And so we will start charging $10 for tastings. Uh, they'll be nice, um, you know, full uh, half-ounce pours as uh, the maximum yes. allowed by law. By law. And then uh, people can come in and, and taste. And if they decide to walk out with any bottle, then they'll get that uh, $10 Fantastic. back. Fantastic. And the website? CoppleworksDistilling.com. All right. Mike and Nutt and Jason Parker, co-proprietors, congratulations on uh, really fantastic uh, whiskeys. I'm excited about it, and we'll send people down. I should get some of those cruise tourists coming down and maybe taking something on board. Thanks so much for joining me at Happy Hour Radio.
Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. Hey, hey, folks. Hope you enjoyed today's show with Chef John Suntram from Lark. Um, fantastic uh, recipe book. I don't want to call it a cookbook because it sounds staid. Great photos and all. And don't forget the Holiday Wine Fest, November 12th and 13th, holidaywinefest.com. It's going to be a fantastic event, wines and beers and spirits. Oh, my. Uh, remember, folks, when you're out and about, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers. Cheers.